This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. We talked about this, uh, I think last week we talked about from uh, Ephesians chapter 1, that God predestines you to be holy and without blame before Him. In other words, God's original plan before He ever thought about making the earth, before He ever created the universe, His original plan was to have children who would be holy and without blame. Now, if Jesus didn't accomplish that, then he didn't get the job done. If Jesus did not accomplish making you holy and without blame before God, then there's no way Jesus could be sitting down at his right hand because he wouldn't be finished. He had to have accomplished God's pre-planned idea, his pre-planned purpose, his pre-planned goal. And the Bible's real clear on that. Maybe we ought to look over there, back to Ephesians chapter 1. Maybe we ought to look over there to remind you. The Bible says God's original purpose, before he ever made man, before the foundations of the world. Let's start in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Past tense. He has blessed you with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In other words, by one man's work, Jesus, you have been blessed with all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. That means you have already received everything that you will ever need in potential. Maybe not yet in reality, but in potential, you have everything you need to overcome spiritual death and the characteristics of spiritual death. Verse 2, verse 4, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. Now, chosen us in him doesn't mean he chose certain ones and left other ones out. It means he chose man. He chose man in him. Here's what God, this was God's original plan, his original purpose. According as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us. Predestined means to be, to have preplanned or preordained. He predestined you unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. Now th- stop and think about what that means. That means he did not expect that everybody was going to live like Adam. He knew before he ever made man that Adam would be in the earth, that Adam would fall, that Jesus would redeem us, and that we would be adopted in Christ. He did not say adopted in, in Adam. God predestined us to be Adopted into children, or the adoption of children was God's predestined plan, by Jesus Christ to himself according to the pleasure of his goodwill. Notice again in verse 4 what God originally planned before the foundation of the world was that you would be holy and without blame before him in love. Folks, that means if you've made Jesus the Lord of your life, it's impossible for you to not be holy and without blame before God. Yeah, but, but I don't feel that way. Well, I don't always feel that way either. But it doesn't change the truth. Notice it says in Ephesians 1 verse 20, it says, which he wrought in Christ, talking about the power of God, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named. Not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. Now, folks, that is the place that Jesus has. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named. Not only in this world, but in that which is to come. But in this world, 
It does cover everything in this world, right? And has put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. Now, where are the feet? Holy Spirit said through Paul, Christ is the head, you're the body. Where are the feet? Are the feet in the head? No, the feet are in the body. That means if he put all things under his feet and you're the body of Christ and he's the head over all things to the church, which is his body, that means all things are under your feet. Verse 23, uh, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. As I said, the feet are in the body, not in the head. Chapter 2, and you hath he quickened. What does it mean? Well, really, it goes back to chapter 1, verse 20. It says, which he wrought in Christ when he raised from the dead, and you. The same power that was wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead was wrought in you when you made Jesus the Lord of your life, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Verse 6, and has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So, folks, what we seem to fail to realize is that we have the same place as Jesus. Is Jesus struggling against the devil? Jesus having any problem with the devil whatsoever? Is sickness a problem for Jesus? Why? Because it's been put under his feet. Is poverty a problem for Jesus? No. You know why? Because the lack of money or the lack of resources in any area is under his feet. So all it takes is for somebody in the body that he's the head of to take hold of the finished work of Jesus to exercise faith to receive healing so that sickness is no longer a problem and to exercise faith in the punishment that Jesus paid for lack and poverty so that's no longer a problem. The difference is he's there to administrate. We're here in the field. He's at the home office. We're in the field. That's the only difference. We've been given his authority to use in the field. We've been given his place in the field. We have the same place with God, holy and without blame, as Jesus does himself. If I had planned this out better, I would have gotten one of those pictures of Jesus. You know the picture where he stands sideways, where he's sitting sideways? Got the long wavy hair. He's got his eyes lifted up a little bit like he's looking in heaven. There's a little bit of light coming over there. He's just got this sweet look. I hate that picture. I would not have followed that guy around. He does not look like that. I've seen him. He does not look like that. But even at that, we look at the Gospels and we think, that's the Jesus that we're supposed to emulate. Well, he showed us some great things. He's a great example. But folks, First John chapter 4 and verse 17 says, as he is in the, the, as he is, so are we in this world. It does not say as he was. It says as he is. 
as he is, so are we in this world. Well, okay, how is he? Well, he's love, and that's the point that John was bringing out in 1 John 4, 17. But he's righteous, he's holy, he's pure. Everything that you can say about Jesus is summed up in righteous and love. Everything. Everything is, is goodness. Everything is about Jesus. Everything about the, the character and the nature of God is righteousness, it's purity, it's love, it's goodness. You pick your word. It's all the same thing. It is the nature of God. Now that nature is what you've been made. Look with me to Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21 tells us that who Jesus was made and who we are made. For he, speaking of God, has made him Jesus to be sin for us who knew no sin. Now, folks, please notice that it says he made him to be sin. It doesn't say he laid sin upon him. It was a great revelation to me because I, I came up in a denominational upbringing and I, I don't know whether they told me this or if I just developed the idea myself. I really don't know. I'm not going to blame anybody else for it. But I had the idea that God kind of put sin upon Jesus like you'd lay a coat or a cloak upon somebody. He just kind of draped something over him and, and called that sin. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible does not say he laid sin upon him. It says he made him sin. Now, I don't know how this works for you, but for me, the thing that has and is, has made and is making the most difference for me to understand my place in Christ is to understand that Jesus died and went to hell. Now, he couldn't have died and gone to hell, meaning the place of the dead, meaning the place of the spiritually dead. He couldn't have done that unless he was dead. Righteous people can't go into hell. Jesus, as a righteous man, could not have gone into hell. In other words, Jesus couldn't have taken sin like a coat and had God lay that on him and still righteous on the inside, the real him being righteous, walked into hell and said, okay, I'm here to stay for three days and after that I'm going to leave. Can't do it. It's not the way it works. Wouldn't have been legal. God would have been cheating. In order for Jesus to go to hell, in order for Jesus to pay the price of sin... He had to go where you would have gone without him. And that's hell. That's the place of the spiritually dead. Now, the Bible proves this, not to everybody's satisfaction, but certainly to mine. It says he was the firstborn from the dead. Colossians 1.18 says he was the firstborn from the dead. That's not physical death. There were other people that were raised physically from death before Jesus. Lazarus was a good example in Jesus' ministry. So the firstborn from the dead has got to mean something other than physical death. It's spiritual death. He was the firstborn from spiritually dead. You can't be born from the spiritually dead unless you were first spiritually dead. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, it says that Jesus was justified in spirit. You can't be justified in spirit unless you were unrighteous in spirit. And that's the definition of spiritual death. First Peter chapter three and verse 18 says that Jesus was quickened in spirit. You can't be quickened or made alive in spirit unless you were first dead in spirit. 
There's no way around it if you're going to believe what the Bible says. Now, I know a lot of people, that's too far for them to go. Okay, uh, have it your way. But that's what the Bible says. And Paul confirms it here. He says, God made Jesus to be sin for us. If he's sin, that means he's spiritually dead. Because sin was the entrance to spiritual death. He made him to be sin. Jesus became spiritual death. I believe this was, took place progressively on the cross. I believe it started in the Garden of Gethsemane. But it progressively went forward through his, uh, his passion, through the, the crucifixion and so forth. The Bible says by the end of the crucifixion, he was so twisted and gnarled up that they didn't even look like a human. Well, what causes that? you got two other guys, one on each side, that are thieves. They still look the same. They've been hanging on the cross the same time Jesus has. Nobody looked at them and said, well, they don't look human. They looked at them and said, they look like they're dying. What made the difference? Jesus was made sin. Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. Healing School is for those who are in need of being healed from sickness in their body, as well as those who want to strengthen their faith in the area of healing. The Bible says Jesus took your infirmities and bore your sicknesses on the cross. He was wounded, Isaiah 53, 5 says he was wounded for your transgressions, that's sins. He was bruised for your iniquities, that's sins. The chastisement of your peace was upon him, that's provision. That's the penalty or the, uh, uh, the overcoming of the curse of poverty. And by his stripes, you were healed. That's the overcoming of sickness. The Bible says in the same verse, the same verse that Jesus paid the price for your sins, he paid the price for your sickness. Now, if somebody was coming to get saved, we wouldn't expect them to pray all night to see if God would do it, would we? Why is it different with healing? Jesus paid the same price at the same time. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive, just minutes off the 5 Freeway. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to MikeWeb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. For He, God, made Jesus to be sin for us who knew no sin. It wasn't His own sin, it was our sins. That we might be made, same word made, The righteousness of God in him. Now, here's the deal. If Jesus just had sin placed upon him like a cloak or a coat, but he wasn't really sin, then that means righteousness is just laid on you like a coat, but you're not really righteous. It can't be any other way. In the same way that Jesus was made sin, that's the way that you're made righteous. So either righteousness is real and Jesus had to die spiritually for us to get it, or Jesus just kind of played it, sin, took it, carried it away, but he stayed the same, and then gives us this cloak of righteousness, but we really stay the same spiritually dead people that we were. Now, you decide for yourself which way it is. I'm through trying to talk people into what's true. But that's what the Bible says. Now this, for me, is the real issue. Because you can't accept your place in Christ 
unless you know what your place is. And if we're just going to play at it, we're really unrighteous, but look righteous by some sleight of hand thing that God did to put on, put a cloak on us. Then there's no way you'll ever walk in the place of doing the works of Jesus because Jesus did his works because he was righteous and anointed of the Holy Ghost. He was the real deal. Well, wouldn't he know that we couldn't be the real deal? Or if we weren't going to be the real deal, how would we be able to do his works? Why would he tell us to do his works? Unless we were going to be the real deal too. And when I say real deal, I mean the real deal when it comes to righteousness. Do you see the point I'm making? Now we look at Jesus like the way he was. We look at Jesus in the four gospels and we say that is the son of God and that's who we're supposed to be. Folks, that's not who he is. That's who he was. And if that's as far as you get, you've done well. But do you want to see who he is? Turn with me over to Revelation chapter 1. I'm going to start reading in verse 9 to capture the, the context of this. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation, and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos. We know he was exiled there because they couldn't kill him. They tried to boil him in oil and he wouldn't die. Well, what do you do when you're trying to kill a Christian? You're a government leader and you're trying to kill a Christian and the Christian won't die. Well, you send them to an island. You exile them. You got to get rid of them some way. He said, I was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. That's why he was exiled. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. That's a good place to be at the right time. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Now, some people have to have special music for that. And so Paul shipped in Hillsong. <laughs> All right, not Paul, John, excuse me. Being in the spirit has nothing to do with music, has nothing to do with special music leaders. It has nothing to do with special stuff like that. Nothing. At least it didn't for John. Now you can have it your way, but here's what it says. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest write in a book. And send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man. In other words, it looked like Jesus, but... He was clothed with a garment down to the foot with a girt and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. Apparently he had some kind of breast thing or thing around his midsection. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as flame of fire. And his feet were like unto fine brass as if they burned in a furnace. And his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars. And out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in, the, in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. 
And he laid his hand upon me, his right hand upon me, and saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Now, folks, that can't be physical death, physical life, because he's not physically alive forevermore. He didn't come back to the earth and live physically. He's got to be talking about spiritual death and spiritual life. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of hell and death. As he is, so are we in this world. As he is, so are we in this world. We keep looking back to how he was. John says it looked like him, but wow. Now, you tell me something. What happened to Jesus that changed his appearance from what they recognized when he was here on the earth to this? Now, don't get me wrong. Jesus appears in different ways in different uh, different points in time. Uh, he appears in Revelation chapter 5 as a lamb that was slain and so forth. There's different appearances of Jesus. But we see Jesus in his glorified form. And he says this in connection with writing to the seven churches at Ephesus, or seven churches of Asia. So he's talking church age stuff. Has to be. This can't be after the church age. He can't be talking about things. This can't be his appearance relative to any time beyond the church age, any time beyond the rapture, during the tribulation, during the millennium or anything like that. This has to reference the church age because he says, write this stuff to the seven churches. Right? So this appearance is in the time frame of the church age. Now. What would cause a change in Jesus' appearance from what they knew him here on the earth? (laughs) To this, there's only one thing. It's being raised from spiritual death to spiritual life. Can I ask you a question? And see, I know the problem. I've lived the problem. I know the problem. The problem is how do we accept that we're really righteous? If we were really righteous, we would understand that we'd be able to do some of the things that Jesus did. We get that because Jesus said it was his relationship with the Father. And, and uh, Okay, we know. How do we really get to the place where we accept who we are in Christ? That's the question, right, for everybody. If we could just accept who we are in Christ, then we would start doing the things Jesus did. One step leads to the other. Easy. How do we accept that? Can I ask you a question? The Bible says that Jesus was the firstborn from the spiritually dead. That means when God raised Jesus from the dead, Jesus then walked into heaven after having been spiritually dead. And being made righteous by the, by the, 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 the works that he accomplished. His willingness to spend three days and nights in the earth. But his righteousness is not 
His righteousness. His righteousness is the righteousness that came from God the Father who raised him from the spiritually dead. Jesus lost his righteousness when he became death. When he was made to be sin. That means Jesus is sitting on the right hand of God with righteousness that was given him because of his sacrifice. You have been made righteous Because of the work that Jesus did, not of your own works, but your choice to make Jesus the Lord of your life. In other words, Jesus' righteousness was imputed or given unto him just as much as your righteousness is given unto you. Jesus earned it through his sacrifice, but it wasn't of himself. Jesus lost the power to raise himself from the dead. When he was here on the earth, he said, no man takes my life. He said, I'll lay it down if I want to. But if I lay it down, I can take it back up again. In other words, he's saying, up until the final moment, I choose. But when he's on the cross, one of the last things he said was, Father, I commend my spirit into your hands. What's he saying? He's saying, I've lost the choice now. It's all up to you. See, if there was any part of Jesus that retained the power to come out of hell and death on his own, then he's not really made sin. He had to be made sin completely if righteousness is complete. I'm sure glad Jesus doesn't have a problem with taking his place like we seem to have taken ours. I'm going to read this again. Verse 14, his head and his hairs were like white with wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice was as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was as the sun shineth in the strength, in his strength. I think John's uh, response is appropriate too. And I felt like I was dead. Folks, that's the one who lives in you now. It's not Jesus. That's the one living in you. When the Bible says, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world, think of that. And just as much as God raised Jesus from the dead, and you as he quickened. And just as much as God seated Jesus on his right hand, and has raised you up to sit together in heavenly places with him. You've got the same place. You've got the same righteousness. We need to take our place. The Bible says that when Jesus was raised from the dead and seated at the right hand of the Father, you were raised with him and you were seated with him in heavenly places. Our place in Christ is the same as he has now. That's a place of authority. That's what the right hand of God means. It's a place of authority. It's a place of privilege. It's a place of victory. Thanks for watching today. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church. This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. You know the reason, one of the main reasons why we won't forgive other people? Because we're afraid they won't get what's coming to them. So what does that tell us about the love that we're supposed to walk in, the forgiveness that we're supposed to walk in? It's supposed to be a total forgiveness so that we're not looking for anybody to get theirs anymore. Now that can be tough. It's one thing to say, the love of God has filled my heart. And therefore, Father, I pray for my enemies knowing full well that you will pour out the wrath 
of heaven upon them. But perfect love isn't looking for somebody to get theirs. Love covers a multitude of sins. Love doesn't deny that I've been done wrong. But it just says, I'm not looking for them to get theirs because of it. Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.